Well, good morning and uh, welcome to an opportunity to slow down, opportunity to receive from God. And I trust that after a week like yours, you, you're going to need a Sunday like ours, be able to come and just receive. I trust that the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you right now, already bringing you into his presence and that you're ready to receive from him. And I want to remind us all that we are a congregation who is committed to following Jesus. And we strive to be a community where God's love changes lives. So I trust that you'll experience the life-changing love of God today as we continue through this service. Now, it's interesting how we give value to what's at the center of things. We give value to that. Consider Christmas. When we, at, at, at the Steel Home, when we gather, gather all the decorations and set them on out, one of them is, one of those items is, is the nativity scene. And uh, I'm usually the one who takes care of that part. But if you come into our house, you'll see in our living room that there's a piano. And on that piano will be placed, during Christmas time, the nativity scene. And it's uh, figurines that we've had for quite a long time. And uh, as uh, we, I set them up, you always have the, the shepherd and, and the lamb, and you've got the camel and the donkey on the side. You've, you've got the, it's not biblically correct, but you've got the three wise men coming in too with the, the whole scene there as well. And then you've got Mary and Joseph towards the center. We have an angel on, on, uh, with our collection, so that goes towards the back in the center. But then in the main part, in the center of everything all around, is the baby Jesus. He's always in the center. He's got to be. We give value to that. In piano, those piano students, middle C is always something valuable. <laughs> it helps us find our way on the keyboard. Where are you at? Where, where's middle C? Okay, now go from there. You'll find A, a few keys down. you find uh, D, uh, the next key up. Middle C. Inquire. I, I imagine Becky kind of arranges the, the choir students there in her choir group, Excelsior, to have maybe the, the, the better sounding, the, 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 the better singing um, students more in the center possibly towards the front so it, they can be heard a little bit more. In orchestra, they have the number one chair at front and center of, of the different pieces of an orchestra. In math, the median and the average play an important role in statistics and geometry. And then, of course, the all-important question, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> but we give value to what's, what's at the center of things. Have you ever heard of Rugby, North Dakota? Have you? Yes. Okay, wonder about that. Have you been there? No. Okay. <laughs> Rugby, North Dakota is about central of the, of the state and north. Uh, it's about 30 miles from the border, Canadian border, I believe, about 30 miles or so. It is also the geographic center of North America. Rugby, North Dakota. There you go, a little tidbit uh, for you, trivia, if you ever come across that. Belfouche. Maybe you've heard of that one too, Jessica, Belfouche? No, you haven't. It's in South Dakota, so maybe you haven't. Yeah, different Dakota for you. 
But if you've ever been there, you know the importance of that place. It's located near the border of Wyoming and, and South Dakota. <clears throat> and it's about 20 miles outside of this small town, uh, about to the north, stands a small circular marker with the words center inscribed on it. And it marks the spot of the official geographic center of the United States. Now, Lebanon, Kansas used to be the geographic center until 1959, after Hawaii and Alaska became states. But Lebanon calls itself the historical geographical center of the 48 states. So they can still claim something with that. In an article in the, uh, entitled, In the Middle of Nowhere, a Nation Center, Dan Barry of the New York Times wrote this. He said, I love how he writes, he says, a wind-tattered American flag flapping at the top of a silvery pole that rises from the Dakota moonscape like the claim stake of some disoriented astronaut. A hand-scrawled sign propped against a barbed wire fence provides confirmation, though the absence of a souvenir stand or even a snow cone booth would suggest otherwise. This remote spot is, in fact, the declared geographic center of the United States. Over the years, this dot on the map has been treated as a holy place and as a place to share a six-pack, an inconvenient place, a nearly forgotten place, a place to reflect on something larger than one's self. Who knows why the centers of things matter, the centers of cities, of states, of countries, but they do. And he's, he's right. Center of things matter. A barren yet somehow beautiful uh, emptiness in that area. And there lies the center of a nation. And there's another center, much more important one, one that was once, the lonely, once as lonely as uh, Belfouche. That place is Calvary, where the cross of Jesus Christ once stood. It is a place to pause and reflect on truths much larger than ourselves. It's where we discover that it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his powerful cross and the life that flows to us from it. And so I believe that we need to be a people who are centered on the cross of Christ. It needs to be central in our lives. Now, you probably realize that uh, by now that we're taking a time out from the life of David. It doesn't sound like anything about the life of David right now. In order to begin a series on the power of the cross, which will lead us then into Easter. So in the next few weeks through March, and then, of course, up through Easter, we're going to be looking at the power of the cross. And then don't worry, we'll get back to the life of David after that. But we're taking a little time out right now. So open your Bibles if you haven't yet to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> Verse 14, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And we'll stop there in verse 17. So for Paul, the cross stands at the center of all humanity because everyone needs a Savior. One died for all, he writes. But Paul goes further. The cross stands at the center of all history because of the cross and what Jesus did for us there. As Scripture tells us, the old has gone, the new has come. The death of Jesus and his resurrection marked a turning point in the history of the world. In fact, we divide human time at the cross. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And the, the, Jesus' cross changed everything. And the cross has a power all its own. The power to draw humanity to the Savior who died there for us and the power to center all history around itself. And on a more individual level, the cross centers the lives of people who have lost direction and whose lives are out of control. I don't know if you're here today and you're feeling like that, that your life is a little bit out of control, maybe a lot out of control. I'm here to say that uh, the cross of Christ we need to come to because through Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross can empower, can save, can change us. Let me share three things from these verses that speak to the power of the cross and its impact on our lives. First, as we look at verse 14, we see a compelling love, a compelling love. The cross made an impact on Paul. He writes, the love of Christ compels us. And that word compel in the original language carries a sense of being driven on a course from which you can't deviate. No other options exist, and there's no other course possible. Let me take you back to Christmas again. But in my childhood, I remember one Christmas receiving the best gift ever. It was a slot car set. I don't know if you guys know what those are or not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But a slot car set, a racetrack, figure eight going on, two cars. You get a, a, a gun with a little trigger on it, for lack of a better description, attached to this track by a wire, two of them to control the two cars on each of the parts of the track. These little cars have this little, little peg at the front of them, and they keep it in that slot. And so as I would race those cars, and I would do them both together, or I would do them one at a time, or I'd have a friend over, we would race and have a blast. But those cars would not deviate from their course. Well, if you went too far fast around a corner, it would fly off the track. But, but they would not deviate from that track because that little peg kept them in that slot, and they were compelled by that peg in that slot to stay on course. In the same way, this compelling of, of God's love, it's, it keeps us, it causes us to stay and drawn 
to God, the love of Christ. And it centers us there. And to deviate, sure, we have a choice. We can do that. But remaining in his love and be compelled by his love, it's one that just drives us and moves us forward in line with him. But listen carefully what he says here, what Paul says. He says the love of Christ compels us. It's not Paul's love for Jesus. We can all claim that we love God. And we can say that our love for God compels us. Well, that's not, that's not going to do it. The, the phrase he uses here in the incredible uh, direction that it shows here is that it's, it's the love of Christ. The love of Jesus. So Jesus' love for Paul left him with no choice but to follow. What Christ had done on the cross overwhelmed him. And I would hope that it overwhelms you too. I trust that when you come to church, you got all these other distractions going on and everything else, but I trust that as you come to church, you have this overwhelming sense of, God loves me. God has a plan for me. God is guiding and directing me. That you come into this place and this environment and you are sensing the love of God. Christ's love upon you. Because of Christ's love and his sacrifice, Paul was overwhelmed. And Paul follows freely, not under a threat of, of force or, you know, that he's going to be in trouble if he doesn't follow Jesus. Jesus is going to knock him over or something. Not because the Holy Spirit turned on a switch and caused him to be a, a spiritual robot following Jesus. None of that happens under the love of Christ. That's not how Christ's love works. But when we have experienced the power of the cross, when we have, have seen the love that bled and died on Calvary, what other option would we consider but to follow Christ? And if anyone would think that Paul's faith was some passing whim, he says in that verse, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. There's conviction. Conviction there. The love of Christ compels us with nothing less than conviction. Someone once described belief as something you hold on to and conviction as something that takes hold of you. Belief as some, something you hold on to and conviction as something that takes hold of you. Too many times I think we, we base our faith in sentiment, in feelings, instead of in our convictions. And maybe this is true because sentiment is easier, because sentiment is not as challenging or as costly as conviction. When you stand up for something you believe, it costs you. The cross is more than just mere sentiment. It shows the deep conviction of God and the lengths he was willing to go to win us. Then as you look in verses 15 and 16, you see a transformed life. Transformed life. Conviction always translates into actions that provide tangible evidence. 
Listen to Paul. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We cannot come to the cross and then leave unchanged. When we come to the foot of the cross, your life is changed. The power of the cross impacts our relationship with God. That, that, is, that is sure enough. But it also changes our relationships with other people. It should. Not just the vertical relationship is affected between God and us, but the horizontal relationships are impacted as well. How can we come to the cross, truly see the love that Jesus showed there, and then leave still holding grudges, still nursing bitterness? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And the answer is you, you can't. You can't leave the cross and still do those things. Part of the answer is you need to go back to the cross. <laughs> and you need to be at the foot of the cross there until. The cross of Christ calls us to see people differently. Yeah, you know, there's people in your life that rub you the wrong way, right? You just go, oh, and you avoid them. You see them on your phone, they're calling you, and you go, eh, no. <laughs> and you let it go to voicemail. There are people in your life like that. And thank the Lord for the cross of Christ that as we come to Him and our relationship is changed with Him, our relationship with others should be changed as well. Those people who annoy us, those people who we really don't want to be talking with at times, we are able to at least answer the phone and say hello. We are at least able to walk and if we see them coming down the sidewalk, not try to go to the other side of the street. Come up to them and greet them graciously. Our relationships with others change. The cross of Christ calls us to see the people differently. It gives us the patience and love we need to follow that call. But do you struggle to forgive or love someone in your life? Do you have that person you're thinking of them right now? And you just go, ugh, there's no way. I've tried. There's no way. I'm here to say that the love of Christ will compel you. The love of Christ will compel you to come before him, before Jesus, and say, give me the strength, <laughs> help me in this. In the power of his cross, Jesus calls us to serve as ministers of reconciliation. That fun little event where you have to deal with conflict and try to make it right. He goes on to talk about that, Paul does at the end of this chapter. But you might say, whoa, Pastor Jim, <laughs> it's a, um, I can't do that. I, I just don't have the love or forgiveness within me for that person. I've tried. It didn't work out. I'm done. Right? And I would say, well, I agree with you. You don't have the strength within you to do that. You don't have the love and compassion on your own to do that. But the good news is that Jesus will work in us and through us if we are willing to allow him to do that. And not just once, but over and over and over again 
and again, because it will take probably more than just once to help you be able to have the love and compassion for that person in your life. By the power of his cross, Jesus fills us with the love and forgiveness we need for others. And like empty vessels, we only need to allow him to pour that love and forgiveness into us. And it all begins with a simple prayer that is, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I will be the vessel, but you must provide the love and compassion that I offer to others. So you trust that God will provide for that to give to those who you can't do on your own. God will do it. Be patient. Be persistent. Continue to ask God for that. So the sacrificial love of Jesus radiates from his cross. It compels us to live transformed lives, and it works that transformation in us. It turns faith from mere sentiment to true conviction so that we see everyone around us as, as through the lens of the cross and then relate to them in Christ-like compassion and sacrificial love. And then verse 17 we become a new creation, a new creature. Uh, the word new there, as one commentator put it, implies a new nature quite different from anything previously existing. So it's not the, the new and improved, it's the never before seen. <laughs> a new heart, a new attitude. When we come to the cross of Christ and we are changed by Jesus, people see that change in us. They go, wow, I, you are so different these days. What's going on? People will notice. And when they do, you have an opportunity to share with them why that is so. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on the Bible, describes this, this new creation as a renewed man who acts upon new principles by new rules with new ends and in new company. All those things. And he continue, continues on. He says, The believer is created anew. His heart is not merely set right, but a new heart is given him. He is the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Though the same as a man, he is changed in his character and conduct. And as this verse tells us in verse, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, then you will see this new creation. So I suppose that you could say, if this is not a new creation, you don't see anything new, what happened at that part where you're in Christ? You've got to take a look at that. But really... If anyone is in Christ, this experience of a new creation is reality. The old has gone, the new is here. So let me ask you this question. What or who is at the center of your life? What or who is at the center of your life? Is it yourself? Are you the important one? Are you the one that needs to make, make the, the, call the shots because you, you can't trust anyone else? 
Are you the one to get the things done? Because if you let someone else do it, they're not going to do it, right? I need to do these things. Is it all about you? <laughs> Is it your job? Is that the center of your life right now? Maybe for some of you, that's just the necessary evil, right? It does not have to be. Your job does not have to be the center of your life. It's important, definitely. It helps us be able to have the funds, be able to get the things we need. But is it the center of your life, your occupation, your job? Is it your family? Okay, Pastor Jim, you've gone too far. Is it your family? And I understand. I love my family. I love my wife. I love them dearly. I love, I love my kids dearly. But, you know, they can't be the center of my life. Is your family the center of your life? They can do no wrong. No one's going to wrong them either. You'll get in the way. You'll, you'll die for them. That's all right. It's all right to sacrifice yourself for, for your kids, your family, your spouse. Great. But are they always the center of your life? Here's the thing I want to make sure you leave with here today. You need to be a person centered on the cross of Christ. Jesus needs to be center of your life. <laughs> when Jesus is the center of your life, then all these other things will come into place, will find their place. Your family will not be neglected if you have Jesus as the center of your life. Jesus is all about family. Your job won't be neglected if you have Jesus as the center of your life because Jesus is all about provision in your life. And he won't let you suffer yourself either if you think you need to be the center of your life because Jesus is all about loving you. We need to be a people centered on the cross of Christ, compelled by Jesus' love, to live a transformed life that shows to others the compassion and love of Jesus. That's where we need to be. As we start this series on the power of the cross, I trust this, this can be a, a great uh, starting point to help us prepare for Easter, to help us go through these weeks and realize the importance of the power of the cross in our lives. So, but how do you become a person centered on the cross of Christ? That's great. Thanks, Pastor Jim. We need to be that. But how do you do that? It's probably easier than you think. <laughs> First step is to receive Jesus as your Savior. That, that it's, it's like, duh. But receive Jesus as your Savior. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, there's a God who's calling your name and wants a relationship with you. And that relationship that he can have with you is through his son, Jesus Christ. We all have already talked about this for communion, recognizing what Jesus has done for us. Have you received that gift of eternal life? Have you placed your trust for eternal life in Jesus Christ? 
If you have, then you understand what this, this was all about here, but also, too, what God has done for you, and you're living in that. Great. If this is new to you, then today is the day of salvation for you. It's your choice. Jesus will not force you into this. It's a choice for you. But a choice only you can make. You can't say, well, my parents are Christians, so I guess I, I'm one too. You can't say, my grandparents prayed over me and they were devout, wonderful Christians, so I guess I'm a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Each one of you are responsible for your own salvation and entering into that relationship with Jesus. First step is receive Jesus as Savior. Receive the saved life, basically. The next step, receive Jesus as Lord. Come to the foot of the cross and lay down whatever it is in your life that might be obstacles in your way with your relationship with Jesus. If you've received Jesus as Savior and you have not received Him as Lord, then you know the struggle that goes on in your life. You know the struggle that goes on within you, Romans 7 fight that goes on within you. The things you want to do, you don't do, and the things you shouldn't do, you do. What will save me from this wretched life? Jesus. Jesus will save you if we come to Him and say, I'm sick of this. I am a Christian. I love God. I know what Jesus has done for me. I trust Him as Savior. But now it's time to trust Him as Lord. Let Him call the shots. Have you made that step? Because as we receive Jesus as Savior and then receive Him as Lord, then you're at the foot of the cross and you're ready to be transformed, your life, with Jesus, with God. And in turn, you're also, too, ready for your life to be transformed among other people. They're going to see a difference in your life. And they're going to wonder why. Because the world out there is just grabbing for hope. Yes, think about it these days. <laughs> There's a lot of chaos going on. Coronavirus. First death in the United States happening in the Washington State just yesterday. Lake Oswego shutting down a school. Other places shutting down. Beaverton Nike place shutting down so they can cleanse things out. And we can get a little paranoid sometimes. We can, we can think, man, can it get any more chaotic? <laughs> yeah, it could. It sure could. The political process. <laughs> What's your thoughts about Donald Trump? What are your thoughts about the Democratic Convention, all that's going on there and processes happening there? Oh, we can, we can probably get in a pretty good discussion, couldn't we? And cause more chaos. Cause more disunity. The world is looking for hope. And you know what? If you've received Christ as your Savior, and you receive Him as Lord, you've got that answer. You've got that hope. And you need to let others know. The world is hungry for it. And we need to be a people centered on the cross of Christ so that Jesus' love will be shined, shined out all around us and others can see that love. I'm going to have the worship team coming up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. As they do, let me end in this with, with a, a quote from uh, uh, Fred Sanders. He's a theologian at Biola University. I was reading an article of his 
but the cross changes everything. And I think this is something that kind of sums everything up for us here today. And I trust that it will help us realize um, the cross of Christ needs to be central in our life. And he says, The centrality of the cross changes everything. When you receive the good news that Jesus died for you, the result is like dropping a rock in a smooth pond. The ripples radiate outward to the farthest edges of reality. It is the death of Christ that enables us to die to ourselves. It is his death that justifies us before God's perfect righteousness, that sets us free, that gives us courage to face persecution. The community centered on the cross is a great company of people reconciled to God and each other through the cross. And then he says this, he, this last sentence I think we need to really tune into. He says, people centered on the cross know how to die, learn how to live, and love like they've been forever changed by the love they've received. That's the key. That's the result. And I believe that as we, as we pursue being people centered on the cross of Christ, then we will be people who will know how to live. We will be a people who, who, who know how to die. <laughs> and we will know as well, too, that love, and love like, like we've, we've been forever changed, and that love can change other people. If you have not received Christ as your Savior, you can come and pray. You can pray where you're at. Get with someone who can pray with you. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord, that also too can happen. So you can come and pray. Give it all up to Him. Surrender your life to Him as His child of God. As we do those things, then we're preparing us to be that person centered on the cross of Christ. Is God calling you to that today? Is the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart in that way? As I prayed before, let's be, let's be doers of God's word, not just hearers. And as we listen and able to hear, let's act upon what the Holy Spirit is, is asking us to do today. Let's act in obedience because he's got the best, the best in store for us. He wants us in that abundant life. And through Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord in our life and, and, and having the cross of Christ the center of our life, that's where we end up with is the abundant life, <laughs> living for Him. If you need to come and pray, come do so as we sing these songs. And let these songs just speak to your heart as well, too. Maybe the Holy Spirit can use the, these songs to continue to speak and help you see the need of having the cross of Christ center of your life.
Lord, we thank you that we have hope. And that is in you. And that through whatever circumstance that may come our way, you are there.